but I grew up here in the Quad Cities, and Lori grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. We met at a Bible college in Ohio, uh, where I spent three years, and she spent two years. Uh, we both felt the call to ministry very, very early on in life, and then we went to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to finish out our degrees. Um, after that point, we were busy and ready to jump into ministry, but it took a year really for us to find our placement. Uh, we became engaged somewhere in the, in the interim of all of that, and uh, we were living here in the Quad Cities. I was working uh, with Kuzno Construction, putting in granite and marble countertops. Uh, if you have one, I might have put it in. Who knows? I go into businesses all the time. I'm like, I put that in there. The pizza restaurant in the, uh, in the mall, I put that one in there, and that's why it's not perfect, because um, I wasn't very good at it. I definitely wasn't going to make a career at it. Uh, but anyway, it was, it was a time in our life where we were looking to see where God would lead and guide, and he opened up doors in Louisville, Kentucky. Kentucky. And so my first ministry job was there in Louisville, Kentucky. We were there for three years. About three months into it, Lori and I got married. She joined me. Then we moved to New Orleans, Louisiana. And New Orleans, we met, well, two groups of people. We met the Saulstrands and the Duplantises. The Saulstrands, David Saulstrand is and well, was a pastor's pastor. Uh, pastor Saulstrand has passed away a few years ago from prostate cancer, uh, but he was a pastor's pastor. I look at that man and I look at my own life many times and think, am I ever going to be that good? Because he was, man, he was just off the charts. And it's a, it's a relationship that will stick with us forever. His wife, uh, Betty, is still very good friends with us, and we still have a connected and, and we still have a relationship there. We got to meet Jesse and Kathy Duplantis and be a part of that ministry, and they, have, they were feeding into our lives before that time, and they fed into our lives after, uh, even to this day, and we find it just a privilege to be a part of that ministry as well. And then God moved us to Pittsburgh, uh, where we spent three years in Pittsburgh, in a suburb of Pittsburgh. We went to Victory Family Church, uh, led by John Nuzzo, and John's also been a huge influence in our life. Uh, John um, helped me in some areas of my life that I don't know that I ever would have gotten over had I not had a good coach. And he was able to say things to me that, man, most of the time, if a man said that to me, I'd be hurting not to knock his head off his shoulders. But John had a way of saying it. You know, you have a way of, he had a way of calling you stupid, and you smiled and said, well, thank you, you know. <laughs> And, and that's just who he is. He's kind of the pastor whisperer at times. And we're, we were privileged to serve in that church. And the reason this church is called Grace Family Church is many times in a sermon, I heard John say he missed, the only, the only regret he has had in building Victory Family Church was that he misnamed it. It should have been Grace Family Church because it was the grace of God that, that actually grew the church. It wasn't anything other than God's grace. And so by that leading, we stole the name. I told him we were going to steal his name and we called the church Grace Family Church from day one. That's a brief history of where we've come from, uh, but if you've read any of our material, if you've looked online, you might have noticed a tagline that says, reaching people, changing lives uh, with the life-giving message of Jesus. This is really what we're all about. It's not just a tagline we put on stuff like Pepsi or McDonald's or you know, have it your way, wherever that tagline comes from. The real reason we put it there is it has substance. It means something, and we're going to go over a mission and vision today into why it means something. But there, the mission and vision of Grace Family Church, for me, came from Maxwell's Rule of Five. And if you know John Maxwell, you know he likes very hard outlined points. And this one's going to maybe seem a little monotonous, but it really is what it's all about. The first of the Rule of Five is that we should value people. To value people is the first of the rule of five. The second of the rules is to think of ways to value people, to add value to people. Think of ways to add value to the, to the people around you. 
That's rule number two for this church. Rule number three, look for ways to add value to people. You gotta think of ways, get your mind active, your imagination active. How could we add value to people? And then actually look for active ways to live out that dream. Look for ways to add value to people. The third or fourth thing is to do things. Actually get off your butt and do things that add value to people. And the fifth rule is very simple and you kind of see where I'm going here. Encourage others to add value to people. And the reason those five, that rule of five has stuck with me, the reason that rule of five is what the ministry is based off of is very simple. People matter. We forget that the whole reason we come together as a congregation is because people matter. You matter to God. You individually, you matter. People matter. Hurting people matter. People far from God matter. Sinners matter. The holy matter. Tattooed people matter. People with pink hair matter. Republicans matter. And liberals matter. The fact is, every single person on planet Earth matters to God. Every person matters, so much so that in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, when he was creating and fashioning the world, this is what he said of man. God said, or God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. It's a funny way that the King James translation kind of puts a spin on the creation story when man is created, but he emphasizes three times creation, creation, creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. That each one of us has on our personhood stamped as the fingerprint of God or called the imago Dei, the image of God. Every person far from God or close to God, something about them, something stamped even in the heart of their soul, though it might not be regenerative through the salvation process or regenerated through the salvation process, is stamped the image of God. That is why you matter to him. Because as emphasized three times, he created you. Not only is he the fashioner of your being, but he created you with a purpose. He created you with substance that you are in his image and his likeness. Male and female, there's no differentiation. Male and female created in the image of God. John 3, 16, a very familiar verse as to why people matter. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. You matter to God so much that he sent his world, or I'm sorry, that he sent his son into this world. His spotless, sinless lamb was sent into this world that is depraved and sinful and broken to rescue humanity from the clutches of death, to rescue humanity from the grip of sin, that we are rescued that we are those that God so sought, sought so highly of that he sent his only son on a rescue mission. That love was the motivation, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were practicing and participating, while we were knee deep and elbow deep in the sin of this life, Jesus looked at us with passion and compassion. He looked at us with purpose and need and a drawing of the heart and said, I don't care that they're actively doing things against my will and my desire. I'm going after them. Love so compelled him. People matter so much to God that in their sin state, in their sin nature, rebellious towards God, he couldn't help it. But he, rent, he went to our need and to our aid and to the cross to redeem us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 
He who had not spared his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That there's a nature of the God that we serve that he was so gracious to give up even his son that how would he or why would he ever hold anything back? That all things are open to those who are true believers and understand the weight and gravity that we are people that God loves, that we are people that God goes after, that we are people that God searches for, that we are those that he cannot live without. Not collectively as a group, because sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, God loves people and he loves the world and he has a passion and a heart that burns for the world. But what about you, the individual? The fact is people matter because every single person here matters to God. Not one person matters more than another and not one person's story is greater than another's. We have a vision, we have a vision statement written out. We wrote out a little over seven years ago when we were contemplating starting this church. It says this, our church exists to bring people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that empowers and equips them to become who they were created to be through an authentic life of faith. This is our vision. And we're gonna give you an aid uh, at the end of this series to help you memorize mission and vision for the church. Our church exists to bring people into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is personal. It is real. We are not here to serve some religious demagogue. We are not here to serve some religious system. We are here to get to know personally the God, the creator of the universe. We are here to get into relationship with the Jesus that saved us, that we know him personally personally, that we know him in a real fashion, that we actually can call out to him, a God who listens and who's there for us. That when we come to that relationship, that we are equipped and empowered to become the person we were created to be. Listen, that's why we have Destiny Finder, so that you can understand and unlock your destiny where God called you to, that you can be equipped and empowered. That's why we have healing rooms, so that there's nothing in this life that will hold you back from becoming the person God created you to. That if you go in there with physical ailments or, or emotional distress or other issues, that there are people who will pray with you, targeted. They will pray with you with all the faith in the world and a team and a room full of people to break that off of you so you can live the life God intended you to. That's why we have ministries like Sozo, so that you can sit down one-on-one -on -one with someone and walk through issues that are holding you back in this life so that you can become better equipped and more empowered to be who God called you to be and that we are creating authentic lives of faith. That nothing in this church is pretentious. We are who we are. Our elders and leadership team, they are who they are in their quirks, in their goofy personalities, in their serious nature, they are who they are. A bunch of weirdos falling after Jesus. And I wouldn't have it any other way. But the fact is, we are not going to be pretentious as a church. We never have been. I don't stand up here and begin to fake and be someone that I'm not. This is who I, if you don't like it, oh well, this is who I am. I would make a joke about it, but my wife would kill me. So let's move on to the mission. The mission of Grace Family Church is to be a strong, positive, spirit-filled, legacy-building organization that believes in the power of Christ to transform lives, is contemporary in nature and so compassionate that people are drawn from every area of culture into a loving circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. Listen, we want to accept people wherever they come from. 
I don't care if they walk through those doors gay or straight, on drugs, addicted, a businessman, a doctor, a teacher, homeless. I don't care where they come from. We are going to accept them. That doesn't mean we're going to accept their lifestyle. There might be things about their lifestyle that we don't agree with, that don't line up biblically, but we accept them for who they are, the personhood of who they are, because people matter. We accept them. That does not say, again, that we accept every life decision that they've made, that we want to be a place, a circle that is so filled with hope that when people are drawn to it, they feel God's unadulterated love and that there are real answers to real questions when you walk through that door. I don't ever want someone to walk through the door and just get a religious answer from someone. If you tell someone to pray about it, then they, you should actually be praying about it with them. You shouldn't tell them to pray about it to brush them off so they walk away and don't feel that they were listened to. People come here to get real answers and real help from real life issues. And we're never gonna be those who turn people away and say there is no answer for your question. There's always an answer. And if I don't have it right now, I'll find it and I'll help you find it. But I know the number one answer to any of life's questions and it is Jesus. It is Jesus. We are as authentic as the day is long. I'm never, or never going to be someone that I'm not. When we come to this church and we sing and we have praise and worship, when we have a time of reflection and joy, when we have a time in the word, when we have other uh, moments where we connect together, it's all as authentic as it's going to be. If you feel the Holy Spirit that day, that's because he showed up. If you didn't, we had a bad day. And that's just the way it is. Not every day is a good day. Sometimes singers sing off key. Sometimes I don't feel like delivering the messages that I'm giving. Sometimes I'm not on point, but you'll know it. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not going to fake it for anybody. You know, the Bible, there's nowhere in the Bible that actually says you have to like your pastor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Bible says you're called to a community of believers where you, you, you grow roots and you grow as a person. That an authentic life of faith develops because you've grown real roots. The Bible calls you to a church. If you've come through the doors and you believe that God's called you here, I hope you like me. But guess what? The Bible didn't say you have to. The Bible doesn't say you have to like any of the leadership. The Bible says you can complain to your blue in the face until God releases you. This is where he calls you to grow, to develop, to mature. And we'll get to that in a moment. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5 and verse 1 through 11. We're going to read a story about some of the early disciples that Jesus called to him. It'll give us a picture of who we are as an organization and what we're called to do. Uh, but Jesus is about not, he's about to change something very deep in their heart and in their life. He's not just going to change the way they do business. He's going to change the totality of their life's existence. And in verse 1, it says this. One day Jesus was standing uh, by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats. Oops, got a goof up there. He saw at the water, and I got it again, there we go. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and uh, the one that belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a, for a catch. Simon answered him and said, Master, we had worked all night and hadn't caught, we haven't caught anything. Uh, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, the catch was so large a number of fish that their nets were beginning to break. 
so that he singled uh, their partners uh, in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For, for he and his, uh, his partners were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in. And also who were astonished were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, I will make you fishers of people or fishers of men. So they pulled their boats to shore, left everything to follow him. This is Jesus looking to amass a group of, of, two, uh, of, of uh, folks who would fall under his tutelage. He's looking to amass a group of disciples that he would teach what he felt God was speaking to that first generation church. The spark to get the whole movement started because he knew ultimately his, his end would end on the cross in death. But he knew he had to have a voice in the earth to carry on the mission of the church. And so Jesus finds a couple of fishermen, some everyday average fishermen. He moves on their heart and says, hey guys, let's, let's go out and I'm gonna, I'm gonna speak a little more. I'm sure they heard his teachings and were fairly interested. They seem to be around the group. He gets in one of their boats and gets out on the water a little bit so he can see the crowd a little better. Maybe his voice will carry a little farther on the water and he begins to teach. We don't know how long he taught. He taught for some time. Whatever he said in his teachings got Peter to recognize that this guy knows what he's talking about. And so Jesus says to him after he's done for payment to use their boat, he says, listen, uh, go out into the deep water and cast your nets. And he's like, man, we've done this. We tried all night, nothing happened. But because you said so, Jesus, we'll go do it. And a miracle happens. They fill up their boats to the degree that they're both sinking. Calls his friends over who are later followers of Jesus and their boats literally start to sink. And then they get to shore. I'm sure they sold their, their catch. I'm sure they sold their catch for a pretty good amount of money. It was a great catch, a great haul, probably the largest they had ever seen. And in that moment, they said, listen, you are obviously some kind of miracle worker. They fell at his feet and said, they're not worthy. He said, listen, get up, don't be afraid. This is nothing. You think that big catch of fish was something? You think that the amount of money that you traded that haul in was something? Wait till you see what you're about to do. I'm gonna make you fishers of people. Not money, not security, not position. You're not gonna be known as the greatest fishers of the sea. You're not gonna be known as incredibly rich men. That wasn't the point. The point was I'm gonna give you something to seek after that's even greater than riches and wealth and position that's greater than your security that you have in your fishing, in, in, in your fishing business. I'm gonna give you something to seek after that's much more tangible. You'll be fishers of men. Jesus didn't just change the way they did business. Jesus changed their entire life's purpose to the point that, that they left everything to follow him. Why aren't more Christians transformed to this level? Why aren't more Christians, why aren't more believers in Christ transformed to the level that when they meet Jesus face to face and they see the works of his hands, that instantly they say, God, whatever you want to do, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna follow you with everything I have. We have a ton of folks that are really good at putting their tippy toes in the water and saying, I'll be a Christian, but I just wanna see where this is gonna take me. Let me just start at the water's edge and I'll get, my, I'll get my little toe in there. Okay, that's good. I'm okay with that much change. 
But no immersion, no full-on life change. In fact, it doesn't happen very rapidly anymore. I would say the answer is very simple. It's a malnourished spirit. There are folks in church, and I'm not going to talk to this church specifically, but church globally and especially here in the Quad Cities, and we'll get to the points in a moment, but the church is getting more and more malnourished. How do I know that? Not enough signs, wonders, miracles. Not enough people proclaiming the gospel, the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ and saying this is what we live for. And I'm not calling us to be some kind of radical who stands on a cafeteria table and screams, you dirty, rotten sinners, it's time to get saved. I'm literally talking about people whose everyday vocation is to do what God tells them to do, is to be who God tells them to be and who he's called them to be, is to do what they are called to do on this planet. Malnourished spirit is just like a malnourished body. It experiences a stunted growth, a growth that isn't, well, that isn't keeping track with, with everyone else. A person with a poorly developed spirit is more at risk to lose their focus and their life's purpose. They lack the ability to use the word of God to approach life's challenges, and they tend to get stuck. When we're malnourished because of lack of vision and mission, Jesus was trying to set forth a mission with these guys. You think you've seen something cool, just wait until you catch a few people. You think you've seen something good, just wait till you throw that net out and we harvest a whole bunch of souls for the kingdom. Jesus was trying to instill in them something of passion, something of growth, something of maturity. And so many folks without a passion, so many folks without a vision and mission, so many malnourished Christians get stuck. They get stuck. And we can see this clearly in the generation that we're living in. We have a group of people, in, especially here in the United States, uh, physically, man, we are, we are excelling. Man, there's a CrossFit gym everywhere. Like I said last week, Bollywood X has become the new latest, greatest fitness craze. You can dance like a Bollywood dancer and get chiseled rock-hard abs. We have different ways to be physically better every year, especially around this time. We have some things that are on, on the rise as far as heart disease and some other issues, but we also have better cures than we've ever had before. Folks are living longer and longer. We are not starved physically. We're definitely not starved in our options to eat food. We're not starved socially, even though social media makes might feel like we're a little separate or more separate than we have been because kids' faces are buried in their phones, but the reality is they have an opportunity to connect with someone all the way across the globe through that little device. They can experience in culture and ideas and thoughts that they could have never experienced before the advent of the internet. Academically, across the globe, we're, we're excelling. We're experiencing more and more. The world we live in is becoming more and more complex, and we're rising to the occasion. Yet we're literally starved spiritually. We are starved spiritually. I see folks compromising what the message of the gospel is because someone told them that's tolerance. It's not tolerance. Tolerance is not to tell me that I have to celebrate something I disagree with. I can disagree with you and love you. I can disagree with you wholeheartedly and love the snot out of you. That does not mean I'm more tolerant to say, no, I put my beliefs on the shelf just so that you and I can be on equal footing. That's not tolerance. That's giving up ground. 
that's actually not having a standard at all to live by. But we've been, we become so spiritually immature, so spiritually starved that we won't even toe the line of the gospel, let alone anything else. And there's a fine line, there's a middle ground that needs to be walked where we love people passionately and deeply and so much so that we want to bring the full weight and nature of the gospel into their life, but not to the extent that we offend them and turn them off. Right? It's a hard place to live in this life because everybody wants to be offended about everything. You say the wrong thing, you're going to offend somebody. I'm sure I offended someone today. Sorry, I'll get over it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, and then chapter 6, 1 through 2. And we're going to kind of mash these scriptures up to understand what it is to, to become a mature believer. And he says this, I have a lot more to say about this, as Paul trying to teach to a group of people, and he's not really getting in what he wants to get in. He said, but it's hard to get across to you since you've picked up this bad habit of not listening, talking to a church like us. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. Yet here I find you need, that you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics of God again, starting from square one, baby's milk. Baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago, milk is for beginners, inexperienced in God's ways. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance, from acts that lead to death and of faith in God and instruction about cleansing rituals and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This is Paul talking to a group of people like us. He's trying to get a point across and he comes to an impasse and he says, I'd like to teach you more, but you guys can't handle it. You're still on the milk and I want to give you meat, but if I give you meat, you're going to choke on it. There's a line in our, in our uh, vision statement, authentic life of faith, developing an authentic life of faith, or vision statement. That's there for a real reason. We want you to develop in your life of faith, equipping you to develop in your life of faith. So there are moments where I have to force feed meat. Last year, we talked about the doctrine of Christus Victor around Easter, and many of you are like, oh, that's a theological word I don't understand. I don't care if you understand it. I'm going to do everything I can to give you the basic definition to help you walk through it because there's meat and development in that. Listen, you can go to some churches and it's a rah-rah session and the pastor is a really good life coach, but there's no development. You can go to some churches, man, and it feels like the Holy Spirit's moving at every impasse. Nobody ever gets saved. Nobody ever gets healed. Nothing changes. It's therefore and no more and nothing develops. We refuse to be that. As we develop, you develop. As the church develops, you develop. As we grow, you grow. As I grow, you grow. As the leadership grows, we all grow. Some of you are going to outpace me, and I hope to God you do. I can't wait for the day that somebody, man, and it's happened a couple of times. Randy brought something to me this year that I was like, man, i got to study that out because I've never seen that before. I love that. It pushes me. It pulls me. And from the beginning of the church, Art and Suzanne, especially with history, 
And, and Art would give me a, a, something to look into, and I'm like, I've never seen that in, in Middle East history, and I had to go back and study and research. I love those moments because the church is maturing. The church is growing. I love competing ideas in the church. Well, I believe in healing. Well, I don't. Well, let's find out who's right. Let's get out the Bible and find out who's right. Let's find out what, the, what God actually says about that. That competition for ideas, that tension in that space is where we all develop and grow. It's what we need as a church, but there are a lot of places that won't even venture into those areas because they want everyone just to feel good when they walk out the door. I hope you feel tension at times because that tension helps you mature and to grow and you get past baby's milk and you get onto the real things. In fact, here in this scripture in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2 in this mashup, we see that Paul says there's some introductory things that you need to get past. Cleansing rites? You don't need to be thinking about that anymore. Repentance from dead works? What are you talking about? You should know what repentance is. You should know the difference in the value of right and wrong. You should learn to repent. That God repent, When you repent, God forgives you instantly, right there on the spot. And that if you don't go back to that sin, he's forgiven you, washed it out of his memory. He, does, he will never, ever remember that again. We need to understand the basic idea of repentance he calls the idea of laying on of hands the transference of his power and anointing a basic idea. He calls the resurrection of the dead. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't think that means going to a funeral and throwing people out of caskets. I think that means the resurrection of the dead. Those who are dead come to new life in Christ in their eternal form. I really believe that's what that's talking about. It's not negating the other, but the basic idea is that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Those that have died here physically will live on in eternity. That's a basic and fundamental idea and that there is eternal judgment. And this is one that sometimes, as a doctrine, we don't want to look to. That there will be eternal judgment. That whatever you have done with the message of Jesus while you are here on this earth, you will be judged. Not your actions, not your bad behaviors. What did you do with the message of Jesus? These are basic doctrines. Do you understand that there are people that are stuck in some of these basic doctrines? Spiritual development is no different than physical development. And we all need the nourishment of a mission and vision, personally and corporately. We need a mission and vision that spurs us on to action as a church, and I hope we've developed that, and we will continue to preach it and pound it into your head over the next couple of weeks. But more than that, I hope you develop a mission and vision for your life. I hope that your mission and vision mirrors much of what we're talking about so that we can come together and link arms and, and push this gospel forward in the Quad Cities. And when we talk about this idea of, of not being mature, we live in what is now categorized by Barna as the 27th least church cities in America. That means San Diego, California has more people going to church more regularly than we do. That should hit you in the gut. I read this study every year. It's a passion point for me. I read it every year in the new year, and it fires me up every time. I get upset. I get mad about it. God and I have to have a conversation. He has to calm me down. I don't like it. I don't like it. We are in the Midwest. We are in what some people have called Bible, uh, what do they call, Bible thumpers or holding their Bible or whatever. I don't know how people have, have phrased it. But like, like it's just given that the Bible's part of the culture. Not so much. That's a gross generalization in flyover country. And the fact is that we need Jesus as much here in the heartland as they need it in San Francisco, California. Now that number shouldn't scare you that we're 27th least church cities in America. 
Because Redding, California is one of the top cities in the list, in the top 10. Yet Bethel has created a worldwide movement in one of the darkest places in the nation. It doesn't mean we can't create a movement that burns like wildfire. It just means there's a lot of darkness and a lot of opportunity for us to shine. When all we preach is this idea, this old idea of repentance, right and wrong, you know, there, there's a time to preach repentance. When people are far from God and they need to know that there's a saving power in the name of Jesus, we need to preach repentance. But there are some folks that never get off that horse. They never teach the, the full nature of the gospel. They never teach that God loves you. They never teach that God wants good things for you. They never teach about his healing power. They never teach about his prosperous nature. They don't teach about him wanting to bless your life in every area. They don't, want to, they don't teach about his advancement of who you are spiritually, physically, emotionally, in every area of your life. And they miss the boat because they're stuck and just going back to selfish needs, God, I hope we're right today. Okay, are we right? Good. Now I'm going to go on with my day. They wake up the next day. God, I hope we're right today. Okay, good. And then they go on to the next day. And they never get in them a passion for people because they're too caught up in dealing with themselves. They never get in them a passion for people because they're too caught up in dealing with the elementary things. The reason Paul stuttered in his teaching here was because he wanted them to move into an area, and you can tell by the writing, where they were better affected at reaching people, but he had to stutter step because too many of them were still on the milk of the word and not on the meat. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two. Therefore I urge your brothers and sisters in the view of God's mercies to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And not to conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will, his good, pleasing, perfect will. I'm not going to define good, pleasing, perfect will. That's for a different time. But there's a mature status of a Christian. Again, authentic life of faith. Helping you develop an authentic life of faith. It's part of our core DNA. It's part of who we are. That we come to a place as mature believers where we can honestly reflect and say, here's the will of God. You know how many folks are, they're dying for someone to come into their path and say, what's God want me to do with my life? What is this life all about? What am I supposed to do with this life? What's this, what's this human existence really about? And yet we have the answer here in Romans 12, 1 through 2, that we come to a place where we offer ourselves a living sacrifice to God. We say, listen, Jesus, have your way. I've tried it my way long enough. It ain't working. We come to the place of maturity enough to say, God, I'm in your hands totally in every area of my life. It's not easy to do. And it's, it's moment by moment. There are moments I want to react and there are moments I fail and I react in my human nature and my flesh and God has to correct me and say, no, get, get back in line with my will. There are moments I do things outside of the will of God and he has to correct, course correct and bring me back into that path. But I know this about a mature believer, that the more I live in a space that is this body being sacrificed, that is my personhood being given over to the will of God, that I extinguish my will and live for his, that there's a moment where all of a sudden his will becomes very, very clear. You know you've hit the nail on the head when his will for your life starts to become more about others and less about yourself. You know you've hit the nail on the head when you can stand there and say, God, I want to do this for others, not for myself. 
Lori and I have a point of passion that we pray about every year uh, that we could amass enough money to someday pay off someone's house. Like, it's a big deal for me. I almost cry when I think about it. It's ridiculous. But it's a big deal for me. There's someday, and if you're going, I hope that's me, it probably ain't. <laughs> God will lead us. But it's a point of passion for us someday to amass enough wealth to walk into a desperate situation and write the check and say, you're, you're, it's good. Don't worry about it. It's a point of passion for me. It's huge. Not because I want anyone to know my name. Not because I don't care if they ever know where the check came from. I write it anonymously. But I can't wait to get to that point. And we've done little things like buying folks groceries and giving gifts and doing things to lead up to that moment to where we can say someday, listen, it's been a lifetime of leading up to this moment. We're just glad to be able to write the check and do what God called us to. But it's a point of passion because it's about others. And I'm not putting myself and my example above there because I think I'm above anyone, but I hope it motivates you to understand that there are moments in life where you start to think of others beyond yourself, where people actually start to matter. We have a sphere of influence. We have folks that we work with. We have baristas at McDonald's or, or at Starbucks and tellers at McDonald's and Walmart that are part of our sphere of influence. And do we look at them with the passion that Jesus looks at them? Listen, here's how it works. I want to get Amway crazy with this. You know what Amway crazy is, right? And if you're into Amway, I'm sorry. I'm going to pick on you for a moment. But Amway crazy is where everybody's a business opportunity. Like you walk into just a generic setting. You walk into a restaurant and you see someone sitting by themselves and you run up to them and you say, man, have I got a business opportunity for you? You watch someone at, at uh, Barnes & Noble flipping through a business book and you throw your arm around them and say, you look like a smart guy. How would you like to make more money? That's Amway crazy. And they will do it with anybody. It's one thing I love about the organization. They don't care color of your skin. There's no, there's no uh, dividing lines. They don't care if you look rich or poor. They're going to go after you to help build their business, to help put them at another tier. Listen, we as Christians have a much better selling opportunity. We are giving them, not selling them, offering them Jesus, the answer to all of life's questions, when are we going to get Amway crazy with the gospel, and stand in front of folks and say, listen, you, you need to know Jesus loves you. You need to know the God of the universe, he loves you, he thought of you today. He brought me here just to tell you how much he loves you. Listen, I fail at this as much as anyone else. There are moments in time where I get caught in my own little world and I miss the divine opportunities that God's placed in front of me to extend his love and his grace and his gospel. Lori and I were just talking about it this uh, a couple weeks ago, that we have to get better. We have, we, Nathan and Lori, not just the church, but we, Nathan and Lori, have to get better at seeing the opportunities that the Holy Spirit is placing in front of us to deliver the gospel. We have to get better at seeing people and the value of who they are. That this is someone that Jesus bled and died for. That this is someone, regardless of their outward, their outward appearance, regardless of the experience I'm having with them in the moment, this is someone that Jesus desperately loves. Do I love them the same way? Do I see the same opportunity? Am I Amway crazy about this person? There's three questions we need to ask ourselves as we wind down. The first one is, what is God saying to me? In this moment, what is God speaking to you? In regard to the mission and vision of the church, what is God speaking to you? We'll get into it deeper over the next few weeks. We'll give you an opportunity with, uh, with a resource on how to memorize the vision and mission so that it sticks. But really, what is God saying to you? What is, what is, your, what is your next step? 
What is the next step for where God's calling you? What is the next thing to do? Is the next, is the next step an opportunity for you to talk to someone in your sphere of influence about Jesus? Is your next step just to pray for that courage to reach out and to say those words, God loves you? Is your next step to become so committed that you offer yourself that living sacrifice and say, Jesus, not, not my will, but your will be done? God, in my life, not my will, but your will. Maybe that's a big prayer today for you. The third thing is, how can God use you to lead others to Christ, to impact them in a big way? How can God use you? Listen, you have talents, you have abilities, you have influence, you have so many resources at your disposal. What can God use? What has he given you? What voice has he given you? What creative function has he given you? to reach into the heart of those sitting next to you, to reach into the heart of the hurting of this world, to reach into our culture and to speak life to them. This morning, I wanna encourage you that mission and vision of Grace Family Church, it's all about people. If you ever wonder what it really comes down to, all the fancy words, all the taglines, all the, the flowery language, it's about people. It's about people, you matter to God person next to you matters to God. Your neighbor matters to God. The person you're fighting with today matters to God. The opinion piece that you can't stand on Facebook that looks like fake news, they matter to God. It doesn't matter the background. They matter. That's why we have a church. It's the reason we're here. It's for nothing else. Don't ever get mistaken that anything we do is for anything other than people. Don't ever get mistaken that anything that we do, anything that we say, anything that comes from this church has anything to do with anything other than people. If we design a new logo, if we have a new way of connection online, if we have new kids programming, if we do an Easter egg hunt and drop thousands of Easter eggs, it's because people matter. It's not just a fun time. It's not just a hip way to connect with culture. It's not just a way to use social media to stream so someone can hear my voice. I could care less. It's about people and they matter. This morning, I want you to walk away with that burning sensation in your stomach. The people matter. And if you need to rehash that every single day for the next week, rehash it. People matter. Someone in your life isn't hearing the message of the gospel because you haven't delivered it. They matter to God. It should burn us up with, with desire and passion to do 